Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, welcome to Israel and You. It's good to be with you today. And I just returned from a couple of weeks at Oxford University in the UK, where I presented a paper at the Institute for the Study of Global Anti-Semitism and Policy. And it is a Jewish organization that is working on college campuses around the world in the, in the academies uh, on planet Earth, trying to push back against growing anti-Semitism. So um, I presented a paper on uh, the growing Christian nationalist movement in America that is rife presently with anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism. And a question that kept popping up, I, I did an hour presentation and then uh, there was a Q&A time and a question that, that popped up several times uh, was the issue of why Christians in America, you know, speaking of evangelical Christians, why they support the state of Israel. And the issue came up that, that many support the state of issue, uh, Israel because of uh, dispensational theology that talks about the early rapture of the church and uh, Christians are, are wanting to uh, be removed from the planet in the, in the rapture and that the Jews are going to go through the tribulation. So they wanted to understand that, and so I tried my best to explain it to them. But since then, uh, it's come up with several of my evangelical friends, and the question is, why, why do we support Israel, really? And so I, I want to talk about that today. Someone once said, all things are subject to interpretation. Whichever interpretation prevails at a given time is a function of power and not truth. It is our needs that interpret the world, our drives and their for and against. Every drive is a kind of lust to rule. Each one has its perspective that it would like to compel all the other drives to accept as a norm. So regarding many evangelicals' view of Israel, their interpretations are often a function of power and not truth. Evangelicals mainly see, and, and this is just according to me, it's, I didn't read this in a book, it's just my opinion. We evangelicals mainly see through three different lenses in our perspective of Israel. And each vantage point, it seems to me, is driven by a kind of lust to rule. And so here's the three dominating evangelical perspectives on why they support Israel or don't support Israel. And so the first, uh, I call them the denialist. And these evangelicals believe the Abrahamic covenant was broken because Jews rejected Christianity. As a result, the promises meant for the Jews have been denied. The lens in this perspective is clouded by jealousy over the distinct calling of Israel. This jealousy inspires an arrogant denial of Israel's right of existence in her own land. And this perspective is also known as replacement theology or supersessionism or triumphalism. And we've talked a lot about that on Israel and you and triumphalism or replacement theologies basically teaches that the church has triumphed over Israel and the Jewish people. They are no longer the chosen people. Christians are now the chosen people and God has no future 
uh, plans for the Jewish people or the state of Israel. And one leading denialist is Dr. Gary Burge, New Testament professor at Calvin Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Dr. Burge states uh, in his book, Whose Land, Whose Promise, the answer is not just a matter of pointing to the promises of Abraham, identifying modern Israel as heirs to those promises, and then theologically justifying the Israeli land claim. On the contrary, Christian theology demands that the true recipients of these promises will be found in the Christian church. Perhaps the church alone receives these promises. And with this statement, Dr. Burge denies Jews have the right to their own land and he delegitimizes the Jewish people as a result. And so those are the denialists, and that is a growing movement within uh, left-leaning evangelical colleges and churches. They're proclaiming that Israel is an apartheid state, that the Jews are white colonialists, and um, uh, they don't belong in Israel. And they're calling for the complete removal of Jews from the land of Israel. And these are evangelical scholars and professors in our seminaries. And so that is a radically uh, fast growing movement of denialists. The second group of evangelicals, their perspective on Israel, uh, I call them the escapists. And these evangelicals believe Jesus will catch away or rapture Gentile saints prior to the horror of the great tribulation. Uh, this is known as the, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And, and on this program today, I'm, I'm not going to get into you know, all the different viewpoints on the eschatological uh, coming of the Lord. I'm just making a point here about Israel, so I'm, I'm not trying to agree or disagree with whatever your theology might be. But in this understanding of the Olivet Discourse in the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24 and 25, Jews must be inhabiting Jerusalem in large numbers during the tribulation. The glaring problem with the escapist view is in regards to Israel is that it's driven by self-preservation. Escapists believe Jews will suffer through the end-time tribulation while preferred Christians watch the carnage from heaven. So yes, I believe Christian Zionists love Israel, but their motivation at best to me lacks authenticity and worse smacks of anti-Semitism. And this theology was formulated back in 1827 in Dublin, Ireland uh, by a a theologian named um, Darby, uh, John Nelson Darby, and uh, he got pushback from this theology of, you know, Jews living in the land of Israel in the last days and Gentile Christians being raptured uh, before the Jews and, and taken out of tribulation. He got pushed back because in 1827, Israel had not been born. And so he was the guy that came up with Christian Zionism. He said, aha, light went off. What we'll do is we'll help Jews get back to Israel. That'll prove my theology of an early rapture and uh, we'll escape and the Jews would go through. So most Jews that I know, they understand that this is what many evangelicals believe, and they think it's disingenuous, and and I would agree with that. It lacks authenticity, and as denialists are driven by the jealous need to triumph over Jews through delegitimizing them, escapists are driven by the need to be inoculated from suffering 
while unconsciously perhaps making Jews the scapegoats. The third group, the third perspective on Israel, are the commendationists. And the commendationists are driven by the need of God's blessing and approval. They interpret God's promise to Abraham and his descendants in Genesis 12.3, I will bless those who bless you as a special financial commendation conferred on those who are kind to Jewish people. And again, like the escapist, the commendationists love and support Israel, but to love Jewish people out of a desire for personal gratification seems to me to be shallow and disingenuous. So what kind of perspective should evangelical Christians have about Israel? Why should we love and support the Jewish people honor them, and support the state of Israel. And to begin with, a perspective not driven by arrogant superiority like the denialist, the need of immunity from suffering like the escapist, or the need of financial security like the commendationist. That's where we should begin. It's time for evangelicals to work towards an unfiltered perspective of Israel. And to deny Israel has a distinct and eternal calling is to deny the very God of Israel who made this choice. And to deny the credibility of the eternal land covenant God made with Abraham and his descendants through Isaac is to accept the notion that God's covenants can be broken, which places all Jews and all Christians in perilous jeopardy. If God can break a covenant, the land covenant with Israel, then he can break all of his covenants. So we're all in jeopardy, Jews and Christians alike. So to love a neighbor, in this case Jewish people, merely out of the need for self-preservation or personal gain is radically unbiblical in both Judaism and Christianity. Christians should love Israel first and foremost because God loves Israel. And you can see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8. God says, I chose Israel not because you were the greatest of all the nations of the earth. You were really the smallest, very insignificant, small little uh, group of people. God says, I chose you because I ahava you. I love you. I chose you because I love you. And if you're listening to my voice today and you name the name of Christ, well, uh, you were chosen because of God's love. For God so loved the world, John 3.16, the same word, ahava, that he gave his only begotten son. So guess what? God chose you out of love as well. And it will take heartfelt honesty for all of us to set aside our perspectives of Israel driven by personal needs. In some cases, prideful arrogance will have to be challenged. C.S. Lewis said, what you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you are standing. And so I think it's time for evangelicals to see Israel from God's point of view rather than from our own needs, our own point of view, whether that be you know, needing a blessing or, or needing an early escape uh, or denying Israel flat out because you know, we, we believe that um, the Abrahamic covenant is broken. So I'm going to give you five reasons why Christians should honor Israel. And here's the first, and I may not get through all of these on the program today, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it a college try. Uh, so five reasons why you and I should honor the Jewish people. First and foremost, uh, and again, not because of any blessing that we're seeking, although, yes, there is a blessing that comes. I will bless those who bless you, but that's not my motivation. My motivation, first and foremost, is because God calls me to love the Jewish people because he loves the Jewish people. And many people support Israel and the Jewish people for different reasons. 
Some support the Jewish people because they believe they will receive a blessing. Others support the Jewish people because they believe they will prosper financially. But supporting Israel and the Jewish people for ulterior reasons will really not stand the test of time, especially in these present days when the hatred of Jews is on the rise globally. And I'll tell you what, when I was in this uh, conference in, in um, Oxford, England, uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, it is amazing what is going on. Do you know that our our college campuses in America, uh, our secular college universities, and I won't mention them, but they're receiving presently billions upon billions, billions with a B, of dollars from the Muslim Brotherhood that are they're pouring uh, billions of dollars into our Ivy League schools in order to turn them. Uh, away from you know being protective of the Jewish people, giving uh, a place for Jewish students on campus. So there's a rising anti-Semitism on campuses, and we wonder why it's not being stopped because the universities are being funded by radical uh, Muslim Brotherhood organizations. So uh, b- we believe that there should be only one all-consuming. Uh, motivation for why Christians should prioritize ministering to the needs of Jewish people, and that is love. And Christians are faced with three choices concerning Jews. We can choose to reject Israel and the Jewish people based on a theology that proclaims the church has replaced Israel, and now the church is the Israel of God. This theology, again, is known as replacement theology. We can choose to support Israel and the Jewish people out of selfish or ulterior motivations that include personal benefits. We can choose to love Jewish people in Israel because God loves Israel. And that's what I'm saying today. We love the Jews because God loves Jews. Love was at the very heart of God's original decision to choose the Jewish people. It says in Deuteronomy, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, the Lord did not set his love upon you or choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. That's solid. That's a solid reason why all of us should love the Jewish people, because God loves the Jewish people. And the same with my neighbor. God loves the world, and so I I love my neighbor as myself, because God has loved the world. And so when we come back, I'm going to talk about the second reason and try to get through all five. But the second reason is because the nations are supernaturally connected to Israel. Though the nations don't understand it, Though we don't perceive it, all the nations on the planet are supernaturally connected to Israel. That means you and I, as well, individually, are supernaturally connected to Israel. So when we get back, we'll look at that very interesting point of the supernatural connection to Israel of the nations of the earth. See you on the other side of the break. Hi, I'm Aaron Free, President of Israel Team Advocates. And there's an alarming decline today in the support of Israel among U.S. evangelical millennials ages 18 to 29. A May 2021 survey administered by the Barna Group shows that between 2018 and 2021, favorable support for Israel has been cut in half from 75% to 35% among evangelical millennials 
in the United States. If this trend continues, evangelicalism will be anti-Israel in just a few short years. And remember that young Christians today will be the leaders of tomorrow. Israel team recently conducted interviews with students at a major evangelical university concerning their understanding of the Holocaust. The answers were troubling. To the first question, what was the Holocaust? Half of the students did not know. To the second question, who was Adolf Hitler? Again, only half of the students had knowledge enough to connect him to the Jewish genocide. In the remaining questions, we found a surprising, breathtaking, really, lack of historical understanding of the murder of six million Jews during the Holocaust. This example is indicative of a much larger problem. The study of the Holocaust is not prioritized in Christian primary, secondary, and higher education. And there's so much more that we can do. You can help Israel Team today by going to israelteam.org and clicking the donate button and your tax-deductible gift today will help us in pushing back against this growing narrative of anti-Israelism within the evangelical millennial community. So go to israelteam.org and stand with us today. We're building a bridge for the coming generation, and it's so important that we build that bridge. So help us today at israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel in You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back. And we're looking at five reasons why Christians should support Israel and the Jewish people. And we're looking at the second reason, uh, because the nations are supernaturally connected to Israel. Where do we find this in the scripture? Well, in Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9, it says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the children of men, he set the bounds of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. For Jehovah's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So according to this passage of Scripture, all the nations are connected to the Jewish people and to the nation of Israel. The third reason why we support Israel is because the outpouring of the Spirit and revival has historically been connected to Israel's restoration. And that's why we should all pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the restoration of Israel. Because God loves Israel, uh, the nations are connected to Israel, and all the nations, their spirituality comes from Israel. Consider these facts about revival in the past few hundred years. The great, the grandfather, I'm sorry, of Jonathan Edwards, Solomon Stoddard, reported the fires of revival were kindled in Northampton, Massachusetts in 1679 to 1718. The 1700s would see ministries of Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, and John Wesley flourish. These stirrings would usher in the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening that would last through most of the 1700s. Beginning in 1860s, Jews began to establish Jewish villages in Palestine. The small effort continued throughout 1860 to 1890. And the revival parallel is that revival sprang up in Scotland and Ireland in 1873 that were led by Dwight L. Moody. Moody and Iris Sankey returned to the U.S. to lead revivals in Brooklyn, Philadelphia, New York City, Chicago, and Boston. Uh, 
Israel is granted statehood in 1948 after 2,000 years of separation from their land. And there's a revival parallel to the statehood of Israel granted in 1948. In the late 1940s and early 1950s, international ministries hit the world stage under the leadership of Billy Graham, Bill Bright, and many others. Israel regains Jerusalem in 1967 during the Six-Day War after 2,500 years of being trampled underfoot by foreign powers. The revival parallel is that in 1967, the world experienced the fires of revival once again during the Jesus People Movement. During this period, millions of souls came into the kingdom and a time of refreshing covered the globe. That's when I came to the Lord. And you've probably seen the movie recently, The Jesus Revolution, about Chuck Smith. All this happened right at the moment when uh, the Jewish people regained Jerusalem after thousands of years. So at this time, the Holy Spirit was radically moving, dramatically moving among many nations. Then in 1989 to 1990, the Soviet Union released one million Jews from the bondage of communism and allowed them to immigrate to Israel, fulfilling Jeremiah 16, 14 through 15. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country. And Russia is directly north of Israel, and out of all the countries where he had driven them, says the scriptures, for I will bring them back to their own land and uh, that I gave to their fathers. So when did this happen? 1989 to 1990, about a million Jews. I met one of them in Oxford, England last summer, uh, Natan Sharansky. He was a refusenik. He was a journalist that appealed to the Soviet Union uh, to be released to go back to Israel, and they refused him passage. And he stood up against uh, the Russian Soviet Union government and as a result spent nine years in the gulag, rotting away, almost starved to death. But many Jews were uh, oppressed in the Soviet Union, but at that time, a million were released. So what is the revival parallel? At the same time, the Jews are bringing release from bondage and suppression, from communism in 89 through 90. The Promise Keepers movement explodes uh, across the United States of America and fill stadiums with men uh, seeking after God and breaking spiritual strongholds. So you can see time and time again where God does something in the restoration of Israel, there's a parallel restoration in the nations of the earth because of this divine connection that the nations have with Israel. And so here's the, the fifth reason. Because when God restores Israel to her land, it will be a sign to the nations of the holiness and power of God. And let me say, um, I'm not going to give you my view of what I believe about uh, you know the, the coming of the Lord, whether it's... Um, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation, uh, I always say it may be morning, night, or noon. Uh, but the reason why I support Israel is not over uh, an early rapture theory. It's because when God restores his people to their land in Israel, 
It's a sign to the nations of his power. And the first thing God will do in Israel's restoration is to restore them to their land. And this is happening. There are about 18 million Jews on the earth. And presently, they say, between 8 and 10 million are back in the land. So first is the physical regathering of the Jewish people to Israel. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 24 says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And so this is a major reason why we should uh, honor the Jewish people, support the state of Israel, because we're supporting the restoration of of God's holy name. That's the bottom line. When God restores his people to their land, he's saying, I'm doing this to vindicate my holiness before the nations of the earth. And that's a powerful, powerful reason why we should support Israel. And once the Lord brings the Jewish people back physically, he will restore them spiritually. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 26 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And we see this happening today. And there's this hunger within the Jewish people for the holiness of God. And this twofold restoration will be assigned to the nations of God's enduring power. And it says in Ezekiel 36, 36, Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. And presently Jews from the nations are immigrating to Israel by the tens of thousands each year. In Israel, there are reports of spiritual hunger like never before. And Ezekiel 36 is happening right before our eyes. And we should rejoice in this because what God is doing ultimately in the restoration of Israel is restoring his holiness before the nations of the earth. And Jeremiah 31, verse 35 through 36 says, This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. So that is sort of a um, opposition to the denialists that say, you know, the Jewish people no longer belong in the land of Israel. And what God says here to all the denialists is, if all you have to do to, to understand if God still uh, is the God of Israel and still is uh, purpose to restore the Jewish people to their land is go out at night. If you see the stars shining, if you see the moon and the heavens, if you walk to the seashore and the seas are still, uh, there's still waves in the sea, the seas are still roaring, it is a sign to the nations that uh, Israel will never cease to be a nation before me. 
And Oswald Chambers said, God elected a certain nation to be his bond slave, and through that nation, a knowledge of his salvation is to come to all the world. And I'll tell you right now, like I said a minute ago, Ezekiel 36 is happening before our eyes. God is drawing his people from the four corners of the earth, from the north, the east, the west, and the south, and he's drawing them back drawing them back to the land of Israel. When I was in Israel, I met an Israeli official that is over helping Russian Jews return to the land. And of course, my family, my Jewish family all came from Russia. And I said, can you help me? I'd like to become a citizen. And uh, he said, yes, gave me some paperwork. He said, when you get to the Tel Aviv airport, Ben Gurion, you'll see an immigration office walk in. And you know what they're gonna say to you, Aaron? I said, no. He said they're going to say, welcome back. So Ezekiel 36 is happening before our eyes.